I didn't know how or where or why or when, but I've just always just pushed, pushed and pushed. And um, I'm kind of a believer in just trying to find those opportunities, even sometimes when you don't think that they're there. Just create them. Attitudes are beginning to change. A stigma surrounding dyslexia. Modern messages were received the by the brain. Dyslexia. Well, my whole view is dyslexic. It's kind of your super. Anything is dyslexic. Dyslexia. Hello, we are Move Beyond Words and welcome back to another episode of our podcast sponsored by Arts Council England. I'm Elizabeth Riffian. And I'm Charlotte Edmonds. In this episode, we're joined by British television presenter, columnist and creative tastemaker, Laura Jackson. We're not on TV for the likes of the BBC and ITV or presenting the So How Do You podcast. Laura curates across the world of food, interiors, travel and culture on her platform, Host, and as a co-founder and CEO of Glassette. In this conversation, we discuss Laura's creativity across her wide-ranging career, her struggles with dyslexia and anxiety, and how passion, drive, and a strong work ethic can carve out the career of your dreams. Welcome, Laura Jackson, to the Move Beyond Words podcast. Hi. Hi. <laughs> it is so nice to meet you, Laura. I've um I've been following you on Instagram for such a long time and I, I just love your you've obviously got a really stylish eye. Um but also just like your authenticity, like and and really just inspirational, honestly, in like how you um yeah, just like open yourself up to to your followers on social media but equally like I've been inspired so much by like your Christmas decorations um your wedding images um you know and yeah as I said just kind of your relaxed honest approach on social media um yeah it's been been really appreciated oh that's so kind of you to say that 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 honestly is really nice thank you that means everything what qualities do you think have kind of helped you along the way in your career to just kind of keep that grounded nature? I think being from a normal northern large family, my mum had me and my sister when she was married to my dad. My dad was actually married before he married my mum and um, had a daughter who's my half-sister. And then my mum married uh, my stepdad, who was widowed with three children. There was five of us at home. And then my mum's brother she's got three brothers but two of them took turns um in living with us because they were a lot younger so yeah there was usually eight of us at home and it was really loud hectic and all of those words and we've always been taught to be super independent to help each other out be generous and to be kind and obviously we weren't always I remember scrapping with all of them (laughs) all of them at the same time what siblings are for right Exactly. So, yeah, I think that just I'm so proud to be Northern and my husband and I constantly battle with, would we go back home? It's always going to be home. I mean, we call London home because we've been here for so long, but home is home, you know, no matter where you are. And and the thought of like my kids not having a Northern accent when me and my husband mm. are Northern, is just sounds like such a small, stupid thing, but I'm so proud of being Northern. I'm so proud of my upbringing. I'm so proud of where I've come from. And yeah, and I think that that kind of keeps me grounded. Yeah, probably sometimes I'm not that grounded, but I I, I try to be. 
it definitely comes across as though you are like I I've definitely felt that um and it's so easy to kind of be swept away into you know when you're doing so many different things and you're invited to great events with incredible people like it's so easy to be swept into that world you know it's really important to be proud of your roots I'm from uh, Derbyshire I'm from uh, the Peak District and I've been away for like 10 years and so my accent I think my accent's really weird now. My hus- husband's from Sydney, but I've had a dose of home over the weekend, so it's it's kind of shifted back to being a bit more northern, and you're going to help with this as well. So the first big break in your career was in TV after you were spotted working at Shoreditch House. Was TV something that you always wanted to go in or that appealed to you? I absolutely love telly so much. It's like the medium that I most feel such synergy with. I just love the escapism of television and I always have watched a lot of television. I I was that person who got home from school and, you know, watched The Neighbours and then The Home and the Way and then (laughs) Hollyoaks, wasn't it? Hollyoaks, then Neighbours, then Home and Away, like then Coronation Street. Emmerdale, Coronation Street. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I've always really loved telly. You know, I was watching, um, I don't know if you've seen the Makita and Andy Oliver on BBC Two the other day. Have you seen it? Oh my God, it's absolutely amazing. Have you watched? What's the show called? Is it just Andy and Makita Travel or I don't know. Oh, I'll have to have a look at it. I'll I'll look it up, yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And I I watched it and I was like, these are all the reasons why I love television. Uh. Joyous and heartfelt and warm. And, you know, you go on this kind of journey of discovery with them and it's just really really great television I just absolutely love it so I always knew I kind of wanted to do something in telly but you know at school I didn't really know if I liked telly I could work in it I thought that the only television jobs were like actors you know or we were the weather presenter yeah Yeah. (laughs) I was like you know the limits of your careers advisor well you could be a doctor a nurse a mechanic or only if you're a boy um (laughs) it wasn't I didn't really understand that or know that if I liked art, I could be a makeup artist. Or if I was really organised, I could work in production. If I liked food, I could write about food. Or even the fact that, that a recipe tester existed. I just did not know that stuff at all. Mm. So I was working at Shoreditch House. And, and I've always had jobs from every age. My mum's always made us work. So, I, I, you know, I'd be the person who, you know, was doing like promotion, like dress the prison like a tube of toothpaste. That, like a tube <laughs> going to like you know dressing up as bottles of gin and handing out free gin I'd do anything for money you know like more or less someone's like oh do you want to do this is I'm going to give you 50 quid for a day I'm like oh my god great I'll be there Um, I was like that person I just would do anything and everything I loved meeting people loved being out and about and when I got a job at Shoreditch House you know I was like chatty Kathy on reception would meet loads of people told this really great guy that I loved television and would love to be a presenter and he had a friend always thought he had a friend who had a friend no he had a friend who was an agent (laughs) went to go meet this agent we got on really well she sent me for an audition and I got this little job and then they took me on because I needed someone to help me with this job and that's kind of how it all started but I honestly believe this hand on heart like I haven't had my big break like I've had lots of little things but I haven't had that big moment really no, I don't think, I really think that. I, I, wow. I, I'm shaking my head here and I've, <laughs> I've gone <crazy>. silent. <laughs> but Honestly, that's, I don't think I have. I feel like I've had loads of like little moments. Do you know what I mean? Like, and success looks 
very different success looks very different to different people mm. I think there's loads of little little things and do you think you're expecting like you have a I find this like with a lot of people who are neurodivergent that our standards are so incredibly high and like the demand of ourselves is really high as well like do you have that as well I feel like this is a real rhetorical question really but I'd love to hear you answer it anyway yeah 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 I have such high expectations of myself all the time but I'm not I'm not hard on myself where I'm like I'm not hard on myself in terms of like oh I must you know I'm I'm never looking at what everybody else is doing and comparing myself I think that's been inbuilt in me from from being in such a large family that it's never been about comparison or jealousy. Like I'm, I feel very, very lucky that I don't carry mm. those traits. I can be insecure, but I'm not jealous or, um, you know, worrying about what everybody else, uh, what everybody else is doing, where, where, it, where it affects my mental being. Obviously mm. I'm like, Oh my God, this is going on. This is going on. I'm a human being, but it doesn't affect like me, you know, as my own personal growth. But yeah, I feel like I, I expect a lot of myself. Yeah. And I think being, you know, dyslexic, I learn in such a different way to other people. I think everybody learns differently. And I don't, I actually don't may, maybe surround myself with that many people who learn traditionally, as in sat in yeah. class being spoken at. But um, I think being Northern and being, um, be, being Northern and being told that you've got to work hard, otherwise, not that you don't deserve it, but good things come when you work hard, right? So mm. that's in my head. And then school was just not the place for me. University wasn't the place for me. I, I'm very much like school of life. So I feel like I didn't really excel in those years of my life where actually, and I didn't really come into my own. I didn't really know. I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't know what I did want to do. But it hasn't been until I lived in London and felt like I was at like university of life that I've really come into my own. And it's been really like a really wonderful experience. Like I've really loved it. And I've not known I'm learning in invert commas sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I've been been to business school and back in the last year building this business of Glassette. And if you told me at school that I had to do business management or whatever it's called I'd be like no effing way <laughs> we've done that and more this last year and what a success yeah exactly I love that uni of life and and that's actually quite a good point about a big break it's such an industry standard term but a big break is in all the little things as well that you're saying it's the kind of the mini uh, celebrations the big celebrations I really want to get on to the company that you founded. But before we do, looking at your broadcasting work, and I think I read that you said that live presents a load of anxiety, like live works. How has dyslexia been a gremlin or a buddy in your work? Oh, my God, a gremlin. Totally. Yeah. I have like a photographic picture memory where I can remember words on pages based on where they are on the page, not actually what the word says. Um, and that's always helped me. So and I think I've always really like felt nervous about doing things in a live capacity in case like I can't read. That sounds mad, doesn't it? But you know, and you're like, what if, I can't, <laughs> what if I can't, yeah, what if I can't read it? I always have to, re- you know, if I'm doing anything and I have to, I always have to get the script beforehand and go through it. I could never just be put somewhere and just read off an autocue that just, I just couldn't do it. But I remember doing, um, I did this live event for ITV with Jonathan Ross and I was like shitting myself because, you know, it, I'm doing it with like the Jonathan Ross. Yeah. And um, 
and I was really hard on myself and I was like in so many ways I, I think I'm such a glass half full sort of person where I'm like the sky's the limit anything's possible I'm not constrained by any boundaries I'm like don't believe in the word no in a work capacity I'm like anything is possible let's let's turn this into a yes how can we make it happen but sometimes with like presenting like that auto cue like read or reading I like tell myself I can't do it it's really strange no. um, and I have to like practice it loads and but 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 then I do it and I'm there and I'm like this is the best feeling in the world like mm. I just love it so much and I think because I just love telling I love meeting other people and I do love presenting and I just uh, when I'm there I really enjoy it I think sometimes it's that anxiety that is that builds up to it but really like that was like five or six years ago I don't feel like that now and I don't know whether it's because I feel like a more well-versed well-rounded person because of everything else that's going on in my life that I don't put all my eggs in one basket and tell myself like you know sometimes I do have that like you were a bit stupid you can't read I mean honestly if I write an email the red lines underneath are so wild you know what Today I was writing this Instagram post and I put something and it's like uh, about an objective. And then I was like, what the fuck is an objective? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I read it and I was like, I don't even understand what it means. And then I was like, I can't even spell adjective. And I thought, oh, I'm not even going to write it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so how- by the adjective. But how annoying is that? The amount of words that I have to change because I can't spell them. Like, I now do have that diction. I don't actually know what it's called. No, no. It, but basically I can just press it and, like, say the word and then it will just come up. Oh, so- I need that. I, I, I don't use lots of words in, mass, in, in written works. I can't spell them. My grammar's horrendous. I actually once, to, I once booked myself on this um, spelling and grammar course because I was like, it's ridiculous. Like, I just need to, maybe I just need to, like, be retaught. Like, maybe it's, like, not the fact that, I mean, I know I'm dyslexic, but I was like, you know, I need to try and do some things to help myself. You know, you can't just say I'm dyslexic and not do anything about it. Like, it's a muscle. I, I need to, like, you know. And everyone has, like, been sent there from, like, a work course. I was the only person with, like, self-referral. <laughs> Made me laugh so much. That's great, though. Yeah, and I did really enjoy it. Um, and I think the more you write, the better you get. And I really try. I re- I'm really trying to read at the moment. I, I know that that really helps me in terms of, like my dyslexia and it's really hard though I mean don't know if you guys get the same but like then I'm like looking at the spaces and everything feels like a bit overwhelming on the page and but I'm 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 not great at concentrating either so I do really I have to try a bit harder which is probably why I I can't read as fast as as other people but I do really enjoy it when I read Mm, I just forget what I've read you know and then I have to read it again and it just takes forever is that a dyslexic thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember anything. I'm reading this book at the moment. I'm just like, oh God, what? Where I won't it go in? I've been doing the audiobooks and I found that actually really good because I can like picture it all. Mm. So instead of like having to focus on the words, I can like imagine it playing out and then I kind of remember it that way. I would, if I was doing that, I'd be doing something else whilst listening to the. That's, that's it. The thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I can't do that. My brain can't, my, my brain it's not can't. daydreaming. Just need something to fidget with. Yeah. I mean, I ha- so I am um, like, I've only just started um, like going to the gym properly where it's not about like 
losing weight or being thin like I'll just be totally honest about it like it's been more about like my mental health and like doing something that just feels like I'm on my own for an hour I don't have my phone I'm just doing this thing that is actually nothing about body image at all and I'm I'm, I'm like doing like weight training and I'm, I'm really enjoying it and I find when because I, I like no idea about how to lift weights. So I've been working with like this personal trainer. And when he tells me to do something, I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I'll do it the first time round. And I'm like, okay, my like my brain's like, okay, I'm physically getting my head around like what I have to do. And then the second time I'm like, totally got it. And he's like, God, it's really amazing how you pick things up so easily when we do them like physically. tangibly, physically. And I'm like, yeah, I was like, that's the way that my brain works. Like when you talk to me, like I have no idea what the instruction is. And then the first time I do it, like then my brain's engaged with my body. And then the second time I can just do it and you don't need to, we don't need to talk about it again. It's really, it's really, I love learning about the way that my brain works. I find it really interesting. And I can see that that's like really fed into your work as well in terms of like curation of spaces and things like that. What was it that kind of inspired you to curate spaces and events? What experiences led you to, to that work? It's quite niche, right? Well, yeah. So <laughs> or it is in my mind anyway. I don't know many people who, who do that. But when I was at school, I remember I was supposed to do history and I, I just like couldn't get my head around it. Like maybe if they'd taken us on like field trips and stuff, I'd mm. like get it. But like all these like dates and stuff, I just couldn't get it. And I, I basically, I think my like mum went in and just said, she just, she's not learning anything. Can she do something else? So I think I ended up doing like, I did like food tech, like PE, um, drama, like basically as uh, as many creative things I could, I could possibly get away with. And then like maths and English science, right, that you had to do. Languages, again, couldn't get it. When someone's just talking to me in a classroom, just can't get it. And so I didn't do a lot. So I think until I, until I actually could just choose not to do it. Like, so that was like already okay I just cannot grasp those like literary academic subjects they're just not in my it's just I don't have the brain for it so then when it came to university and everyone was going to university I'm like what am I going to study at university I mean my reading age was really bad at school and I had to have someone to help me basically keep up not catch up like keep up so I'd have like classes beforehand. I mean, I didn't have someone that like sat with me, which would be fine, but I had to like have extra classes. I did. Um, oh, <laughs> no, I wish I had that. And it might have helped me massively. So embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> at that age, it feels awful, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it feels it at that age. You no, know, like when I'm like, you know, everyone's 14 and I've got the reading age of a nine-year-old, yeah. like it's not, it like doesn't, you know, it's not great. And when everyone's going out to play, but I've got to go to Mrs. I don't know whose house because I can't remember a bloody name, can I? Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, like, doing like reading sentences one word at a time, like it's not fun. And I actually never really spoken about that, I don't think. But anyway, um, so then when everyone's going to college, I'm like, right, well, what the hell am I going to do? Um, and all my friends were quite smart. So I was like, oh, right, um, I'll do dance and drama. So I did BTEC, dance or drama. I can't even remember. One of the, one of the two. Um, and, um, and it was in, um, uh, uh, in um, oh God, I can't remember. In, like, in Leeds anyway. So I used to, I had to learn to drive like when as soon as I was 17 because I had to, the train journey was just too long. And so I did that. And then I'm like, what? I'm like, not a dancer and I'm not an actor because I'm just not good enough for either. Also fine. 
but what am I going to do? I'm like not smart enough to go to university. Can't, what am I going to do? Like, what am I actually going to do with my life? And that was a bit stressful. And so what do I love? Well, I love events and whatever. So I did events management at Leeds metropolitan and my dad is always like love it's not a university it's a polytechnic (laughs) (laughs) yes dad um so I did party planning for four years and paid a bloody right lump sum to do it I did that at Leeds and and then there was an opportunity to do a placement year and I was like yes this is it the placement year wow I'm gonna get to go out to work this is gonna be brilliant so I, I watched Ready, Steady, Cook, and there was this guy on there called Johnny Roxburgh, and he had this events management company called The Admirable Crichton, and he talked so beautifully about traveling around the world to like these bazaars in Morocco to get beautiful glassware and do these incredible events and parties. And I was like, I want to work at his company. So I applied, and I don't know how, but he just saw something in me and gave me a chance because, oh. you know, lots of people applied and I, I, I felt so lucky that I'd got this work placement and I absolutely loved it. And it was there where I really kind of, I don't know, moved to London and up north. Like I, never, I never felt I didn't belong. I had a great group of friends, had a lovely life, like never felt like I was an outsider. But it wasn't until I moved to London where things started to click where I was like, oh, God. I actually really enjoy something that isn't about being sat in a classroom and you know I'm sure you girls are the same like exams just felt like a memory test that I was terrible at never Mm. did very well in my GCSEs or A levels or whatever yeah I did events because I didn't really know what else to do if I was honest and I didn't feel like I was smart enough to do I don't know like oh god imagine doing English at uni oh my god oh my god yeah no on my careers day um you know everyone has to do that test like I don't know if you did it actually but yeah I had to do this test where it was like you know putting everything that you got out and put all your grades in and stuff and mine came back with you should be a dolphin instructor no <laughs> I didn't even realize they did this like, how do you even get to be a dolphin instructor like so neat just ridiculous so I also went and did a VTech in dance and then also went on and did events but not um, I didn't study events. It was just, I, I just end up in events and absolutely. How <laughs> so you didn't pursue the career in being a dolphin instructor then? I Liz. didn't. Also I great didn't. job if you're living in the, in the Florida Keys. Right? Yeah. Totally that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I suppose it all, I don't know, like sometimes I'm like, oh, there was no rhyme or reason to like how things have turned out in my life but then when I talk about it like that there's absolutely been a pattern there's absolutely and and you know because I did events management I really enjoyed my job at Shoreditch House which was very much meeting people and greeting people and all that kind of stuff and then you know television was kind of you know in the same vein and then starting a supper club which was very much like you know I kind of thought I have just wasted four years of my life going to a polytechnic learning about like I mean we once did a semester on fireworks no shit I mean (laughs) and I kind of thought that was a bit I did think oh it's a bit of a waste and I found it really hard to write my dissertation and I got, do you know what, Greenwich University, which I did my placement year for a year and I loved it so much I didn't want to go back to Leeds. So I moved my course to Greenwich and Greenwich University were amazing. They really helped me write my dissertation and when I've been doing all my like events and stuff and I think about my time at my year at the Admirable Crichton and and my course, I think actually it was worth it. And I, even though I didn't think I was learning anything, I, I think it must, some stuff must have gone in there. Yeah, definitely. 
I was thinking about like the creation of spaces because obviously when you're dyslexic, we're often put in spaces that are really uncomfortable for us. And, you know, we're like doing your tests at school, being in a classroom that's really intrusive with like horrible lighting. You know, I just was thinking about like how potentially those experiences could have led into, you know, you wanting to create nicer spaces for people. But then I'm just answering your own question for you that you've probably not even thought about. <laughs> I don't know, though. I don't, I don't think so. I like I really I like oh, um, I went to Kurt Burton Middle School and Shelley High School and I, I really liked them as schools. And actually they were quite uh, Shelley High School was actually quite sporty. It wasn't too like, you know, academic. So, yeah, no, I, no, I don't think it's that. I think I've just always really liked the kind of creative aspect of things like if there's ever an opportunity for me to do a collage or a mood board over, you know, writing a Google Doc a million times over, I'd, I'd do the collage. So I think that it's just I've applied that into into my life as an adult where I've, I like creating spaces. And for me, it's not just about that. It's about evoking a good feeling. It's about how mm. you feel. And it's like, you know, maybe being com- like being comfortable and cozy and warm and like in a space that's inviting is just like quite a nice place to be isn't it really yeah definitely and you can see that curation and events through all of your work uh, all the creativity and that brings me on to Glasser which is incredible Liz and I were just saying we could buy so much of your gorgeous interior it's dangerous products. it's really yeah, dangerous there's some really <laughs> super unique products on there and we also watched your owl video and I have to ask, the chair where all the ideas happen, as you said, is incredible. It's in your office. In your office. The light, the, the flat. I can't take the credit for that. John found that. Oh, well, two creative minds in the, in the household then. Um, question is, what do you think is important about crafting your own home space? Well, I think one of the reasons why I really wanted to start Glasset was um, I found that historically interiors has kind of been about a type of person, usually someone that's got loads of money. But as kind of COVID hit and we were, you know, the way that we expressed our personality through our outfits, we were doing within the home. And, you know, that appeals to everybody, right? We want to create the most joyful space possible. And I really wanted to democratise a space so that everyone felt included. I mean, there's so many reasons as well behind Glasset. There's that and the fact that I love working with um, um, with with other people and helping them and giving them a platform to talk about what they do. We've worked, we work with some, such incredible, we're over 150 brands now on Glasset, which is really exciting. Wow. wow. Um, yeah, I, I'm such a believer in like you make your own look. And sometimes that's really hard to say because like sometimes things are shit for people. Like they are, like you get given a hand. And it's really hard to see the light through the dark when you're not having a good day. Like I totally hear that. But I think it's I think it's just about trying to like taking those good opportunities. I feel like when I think about who am I, like what do I what do I actually do? I am a bit of a like opportunist where I look for the opportunities. I look for that lightness in the dark and I just go for it. I just reach for it. And I feel like I feel like that's always been inbuilt in me. Maybe that is, you know, having dyslexia and always, it has always been probably more challenging than I've ever really given myself credit for because I don't, I just don't think about it that much. But I think, yeah, like 
I'm so proud of myself. Like when we were, when we were writing the magazine column, I was like, oh my God, if at school someone had said to me, you're going to be writing for a magazine, <laughs> I just wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed it. I just could, I wouldn't have believed it. But then, but then part of me always knew that I like, I wanted something more for myself. And again, that always been hard on myself, always pushing myself. And I didn't know how or where or why or when, but I've just always just pushed, pushed and pushed. And um, yeah, I'm kind of a believer in just trying to find those opportunities, even sometimes when you don't think that they're there. Just create them. Yeah, I um, I learned a new word today, slashy. Yeah, <laughs> a slashy is someone who has many different outlets. And I feel like that is you. And like listening to you speak, you have this kind of dramaturgical approach where you you what does that mean? <laughs> the dramaturgy or dramaturg is someone that kind of like helps um, push a story and through all of your outlets, like either writing or you know your supper club or your your home interior brand and podcast. You know, there's all these kind of different dramaturgical aspects, which I think comes back to the events that you were talking about at, at uni. I wanted to pick up on the lightness in the dark that you said. And it's quite interesting that you were in broadcasting initially and you love television. And for me, when I have anxiety, telly is my kind Mm. of escape. And Mm. you've been so wonderfully outspoken about your anxiety. And it must be particularly challenging when you're in the public eye. Um, Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about how you've managed your anxiety. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I've been through real like roller coasters with my anxiety. I've not felt anxious in a really long time, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if I feel like I found my place in the world, or it's just where I am right now, or I feel happier. Don't know how I'm measuring that, but I don't feel it as I have previously felt it. There's been times where, I mean, there was a time particularly in my life where I really felt it, and I was really stressed out and. It was when I was moving agents and I just felt like this just heavy weight on me and it was really, it was really stressful. Yeah, and, and that's probably the time where I spoke about my anxiety because I, I I do just say it as it is when it is. Yeah, I, I, I think from being from a big family, like if you don't tell anybody how you feel, like no one's a mind reader, not even people that are close to you. You have to say how you feel. So I feel like I've taken that approach into my adult life. I think that's some really empowering situations that if I ever feel like anxious or not good enough or I kind of like talk myself around and and, and remember all these things that I've done like you know I've just raised a considerable amount of money for this business that for Glassette that I that I founded with my co-founder and started this business because um, not because anyone's given it to me not because anyone's helped me not because it's like being handed to me by a family member or whatever if that happened to you that's totally fine but you know it's like that I've I've worked really, really hard for everything. And then yeah, I've raised this I've raised this amount of money, which I just never even thought was possible and built this business and in turn helped other people. I gave birth to my son in my living room with my husband, like which is the most empowering mm. place that anyone could. I feel for me personally, it's the most empowering place I've ever been in my whole life. And so I think about that. And like, I, I remember going to Cornwall and I was in the sea and it was so cold and everyone was like, it's really, really cold. Why, how can you get in the water? And I just, and I said to everyone, I gave birth in my living room. <laughs> and that's very much in my head all the time where I'm like, you know, any, and that's what I mean. Anything's possible 
you know, when people are like, oh, I'm not sure that's going to work or I'm not sure. I'm like, we are putting men on the moon. Anything is possible. Come on, let's just do it. So I de definitely have that like glass half full, let's crack on kind of mentality. Definitely. God, we all need that. You've been outspoken about the power of a network and surrounding yourself with the right team. And we speak about diverse minds, obviously being dyslexic and the power of having diverse minds around you to help you get to the next level of your ambitions. What kind of people do you surround yourself with and what qualities do they have that complement you? I feel like it's always about surrounding yourself with the right people. I'm always about like a squad, you know, or like an ally. Like I love that, you know, when, even when I was waitressing or at school, I always had like an ally, a friend who I'd do stuff with, have breaks with, talk to in class, like a group of friends. Like I'm very much a, I'm a really generous person with like my time and my, my, and my love. And I, I love surrounding myself with people and sharing that. I, I think again, it's from, probably from, I'm sure people have got it who aren't from big families, but I, that's just the way that I've been brought up. And I really like collaborating with other people. I've always thought that two heads, three heads, four heads were better than one. I don't do anything on my own, like nothing on my own. Like someone said to me the other day, well, like, well, you know, don't you think it's really empowering to like go on holiday on your own? I'm like, no, I think it's empowering to give birth to a baby in my living room, not to go to like Spain for a week and sit on a beach on my own. Like that's great for some people, like whatever works for you. I, I, I like other people and I like other people's opinions that challenge me and tell me that I'm wrong and tell me no. In fact, I don't have a lot of people that actually tell me yes. Maybe I need some more yes people. Um, I have a lot of people that <laughs> challenge me. And I really like that. I like thinking of like ways to make things work or like, you know, how to be nimble and as flexible as possible. I feel like getting, um, like when I was like finding brands for Glassette, I found like it a really enjoyable part of it because lots of people wanted to do it. And someone said, oh, well, you're so lucky that brands would want to do it. I'm like, I am lucky that brands would want to do it. But I feel like I'm a good, nice person and I work really hard and I've built relationships with people over the past, however long I've been in London. And not because of a like, oh, it's like really good to network. I just really like people. I'll spend like 20 minutes talking to the postman. I'm sure he hates me because I like delay. <laughs> really, I get so much pleasure out of finding out about other people and learning about them. And I think that that's really important so building a network of of great people around you makes your life a lot easier walking down the street and smiling at everyone impacts your day in a really positive way rather than just walking down the street and looking at the floor I think that just involving people and creating a network feels like a really like businessy word doesn't it but just having community yeah having great relationships with people is just mm. it's, it's just brilliant and having you know you have good relationships with people when you have good relationships with them it's like such a, a complimentary relationship I really try and help people out as much as possible and then people in turn help me out as much as possible and that's really lovely that's 99% 99.9% of the time 1% of the time as my I, I, you know I kind of do say a lot that um like my biggest learning curve is finding out that other people don't think like you. And, you know, just because you would do something for somebody doesn't mean that they're going to do it for you. But that doesn't mean that they don't like you any less. It's just people are different. But I always just think being as generous as possible and as nice as possible is, is a good way to go through life, if you can. Definitely. That's so nice to hear. Are any of your family members dyslexic out of interest? Yeah, I've got other family members that are dyslexic. My uncle's actually severely dyslexic. My mum's brother. I think John is a little bit. John's really creative. 
And it's really funny. He's a photographer. So and I, I do think there's two kinds of photographers. One that look, looks at it from a very, like more more of a visual creative um, point of view. And then uh, another person who um, kind of likes the, like the science behind it. Mm. Um, like, the, mm. the, like the analytical composition of, of, of the objects or the portraits or whatever. And I think John kind of is the, the more kind of creative brain we're definitely a more creative household. It's really interesting now having kids and looking at how Sid learns. Um, and she really likes drawing. She loves playing and she like loves like tea parties and picnics and talking to her teddies. And she's got this new pepper pig phone. She's always calling people. Uh, and she's got a backpack and she's always packing the backpack. And she seems to be very tactile in the way that she learns. I don't know if that's her age because obviously she can't read or write yet. So that is how she is learning. But it's just it's interesting what watching her. And it's going to be really interesting what her ways of learning are as she goes through life. Do you find that she's a creative influence for you? Because it's kind of re, re-experiencing some things with her. Yeah. And I think that like I feel like imaginative play is really important. I really like that. Um, I have them on Friday afternoons and Saturdays and Sundays and in the evenings. Obviously, we don't play as much in the evenings, but the weekend, like I really try and sit and have a picnic with her and do all those things that she wants to do and dress up and be silly and and what have you so yeah it's and it's it's kind of it's it's so like having kids really is so freeing watching her like it's amazing she's like not get, not got any worries or any problems and just sees the world through this lens of such naivety it's just it's really beautiful oh it's gorgeous I used to do um, a lot of nannying and I absolutely loved like hanging out with the kids, you know, and kind of time would just go so quickly because, you know, you're just, yeah, just having fun again. Um, And I found it really. It doesn't, it doesn't. When you're up at seven o'clock in the morning, you're like, oh yeah, I don't have to do that bit. (laughs) 8 a.m. and literally it feels like dinner time. Yeah, I did a few overnights and like I'd be sleeping for like two days to try and catch up. Like, yeah, kudos for running, you know, your businesses and everything that you're doing with kids as well. Like it's full on. Yeah. I noticed in your um, stories how you just like say like, I'm dyslexic, guys, please don't DM me or like I've seen a few of you. And I I just love that. Like, rightly so. Like, who cares? I don't know. I'm so... (laughs) fortunate in terms of having a great community on Instagram who are really supportive and there's only ever like somebody like one person but as David Strigley once said it only takes one idiot to ruin everything so yeah usually I'm usually I'm fine but you know you get that you get that person who is just loves to tell you that you can't spell doesn't (laughs) really bother me really I try and use social media as positively as possible. I I try to be quite open about how I feel about things and you know, build a kind of a community of like-minded people. And I try to be as accessible as possible. Obviously, like I don't tell everybody everything, that's really important, but I don't use it as a tool to validate my existence. I listened to this amazing podcast called Diary of a CEO by Stephen Bartlett. And he just had this amazing episode out about distraction and about how we use social media. And when you think about it, social media, we are not their customers. It's not there to serve us. It doesn't exist to serve us. The reason why social media exists is to serve the advertisers. That's how they make their money. So 
they're not trying to pit us, you know, against each other in that sense, but it's supposed to create anger and conversation and disrupt so that it makes us all go on there and communicate with each other on that platform. So in turn, there's more people using it and then that gets more advertising revenue. So we're not the customer. So when you think about it in that way, and it's like, do you want to, do you want to be like, do you, are you happy for Instagram to sell you? They're not here to make us happy. They're here to make money out of us. And when you think about it like that, I feel like you can think differently about social media. And I think that that is like such a valuable piece of information. It really is. Yeah. What advice would your younger self give to you now? Buy a house in London before it gets really expensive. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I honestly don't regret anything that any decision that I've ever made. Everything's been a massive learning and um, I've so much more to learn and so much more to do. And I'm just, yeah, I'm excited about the future. I've got quite a positive outlook on it all. So good. Well, thanks so much for sharing that positivity with us today. We've learned so much from you and it's so lovely to hear about your career and your dyslexia. Obviously, that's why we're here today and just unpick that. So thank you for your honesty. And yeah, we look forward to see what you do. Oh, thanks so much. So nice to chat. It's like therapy, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us on this episode of Move Beyond Words podcast. For more information about this episode, please check out the links in the show notes or visit our website at movebeyondwords.co.uk. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. From as little as a pound, the price of seven bananas from Tesco's, you can join our network on Instagram, enjoy access to behind-the-scenes content, and receive a Move Beyond Words welcome pack. To become a patron, please head over to patreon.com slash movebeyondwords, or follow the link in the show notes. This podcast was produced by the Move Beyond Words team, Elizabeth Arifium, myself, Charlotte Edmonds, and Chris Bristow. It was recorded in Serendipity Studios London with graphic design by Alex Colhan and sound design and music by Chris Bristow and Tom Parker.